0: Hard to believe that uh, next Sunday is going to be August, August the second. Didn't it just kind of slip away from us this summer in so many ways? Somebody's whooping over here because they're getting married in August, counting the days. Hard to believe ne- that we're moving into uh, to August, and we're going to somehow at least acknowledge and maybe even celebrate the fact that August is a birthday for Fondren Church. Uh, this August will of course be 2015, and four years ago in August 2011. Uh, we started this church. Now, we had a vision night in May of that summer and then June and July, and a lot of things were going on behind the scenes. We were praying. We were hoping some people would start investing financially. We were casting some vision and just bathing this community, the church, our leadership in prayer, and just so excited to know that that's been four years. Uh, Where were you in August of 2011? Do you know? Uh, were Were you involved? Were you here? And if not, why not? Okay. Uh, I will tell you, not to judge or leave anybody out, but man, I, my, my wife and I know, we know who was around in August of 2011, and you guys are so near and dear to us. We just love you guys and are glad that God is blessing and growing our church. We're so thankful uh, for that. I want to put up a, a passage. It's actually a statement. It's a statement. Um, it's, the, it's, it's a statement in the second, first, let's see, the statement in the first part of the second verse of the third chapter of James. How about that? Can you say that? A statement in the first part of the second verse of the third chapter of James. I will practice that all morning. It says this, for we all stumble in many ways. I bet there's not a person in the room who doesn't believe that that's true. Am I right? I mean, let's just acknowledge, hey, we all stumble in many ways. And I know that if you've been around Fondren Church, if this is your church family, then you know that we've never, we've never preached otherwise, have we? We all stumble. Who, who does that include? Everybody. We all stumble in a variety of ways. What does it say? Let's say it together. For we all stumble in many ways. Let's put the entire passage up there. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I'm shaking in my boots right now. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 18. We'll have it on the screen. In verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Let me ask you, doesn't it seem like to be a little bit of an overstatement, death and life in the tongue? I was on a run yesterday, and I noticed, living here in the neighborhood, I noticed a helicopter Uh, En route to the hospital, landing on UMC on the helipad there, uh, probably an emergency. It's easy to look at that and say, to hear the chopper and to know, man, someone's in there. Someone is being transported, and quite possibly their life's on the line, life and death. I was on a sidewalk, just leisurely walking, strolling to a lunch appointment with one of you. And someone almost in their automobile texting, almost took the curb and took me out. It's easy in a situation like that to think, whoa, life and death are on the line. But the tongue? Consider, if you will, just a few examples. The first is, as I've thought about it this week, there's some research, there's some things happening in our world today, and the mainstream media is really covering it. But think about it with me, if you will. There are hundreds and hundreds of teenagers, college students, and young adults who are taking their own lives, not because of deep and dark depression, not because of some type of hormonal imbalance or chemical change. It's because of the, the constant nonstop belittling and putting down on social media. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. When you were little, probably like me, no matter where you grew up, No matter what your culture, your background was like, your socioeconomic situation, we all probably learned a pithy little poem. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How weak and wobbly is that poem, right? Who wrote that poem? I don't know. I mean, we've all said it, hadn't we? But who wrote it? I bet they were deaf. I I bet they didn't hear. Maybe you've heard something like this before. I'm not... Made of rubber. What, no, what is it? I'm not, help me out. I'm not made of, I, Yeah. I, that's it. I'm rubber and you're glue. What you say will bounce off me and it sticks to you. A coping mechanism, right? It's just something, it's, just, it's defense. But death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about History whether it's the highest of the heights of human advancement or achievement, or it's the lowest of the d- depraved lows, when a movement gets started at its heartbeat as always, usually with a skilled visionary communicator, but there's rhetoric at its core. And how can someone get so many people to be involved in extermination of Jewish people? Well, a man named Hitler, who incited patriotism and zeal, and fervency, and purpose, and mission, and movement, and hatred, but he arranged his words such. There's power. There's life and death, rather. Death and life, and the power of the tongue, and whether it's Hitler's nation, and his army, and his plans, or if it's a Jim Crow South, we see it in our own country, that we can have language that dehumanizes and a, a predominant culture can subjugate, a sub-dominant culture, for so many years in so many ways over and over again. Words matter. Language is important. And so much in history, the highs and the lows have had rhetoric. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 of what Paul says about this idea of our words. He says, I came to you in weakness. Remember, this is the early church. This is the movement of the love of Jesus uh, getting set in flame. I came to you in weakness and fear. What preacher would admit to that? And with much trembling, my message and my preaching, my words it is, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. Paul is saying words are so powerful. But This is different than rhetoric. Our varsity guy, the guy that wrote about 75% of the New Testament, the, the best church planter ever, is saying words are so powerful, but there are words that are just, they're rhetoric, but this is different. There, there's Holy Spirit power behind these words. Think of the church today. I'm all for gifted communicators, but the early church, took root and began to bear fruit, not because there were magnificent orators, but because the Holy Spirit infused those words and those preachers and those churches with power. It was a ridiculous message to the world of that day. Does that sound familiar? But because it was uh, infused with power and love and changed lives, it made a difference. Our words are so powerful. Can we yield ourselves to Holy Spirit power and move beyond rhetoric with our words. This morning, I want to talk to you about one of the ways that has hurt the church and has hurt our witness. Have you noticed that you can't be a good gossip at work and then do evangelism and invite somebody to church? If you're wondering why so-and-so don't want to come to church with you, it may be because they hear you talk all the time. And then all of a sudden, hey, come to my church, you'll love it. Let me tell you about my Savior. Right? Gossip is really important. Here's the definition of gossip because I'm not sure we understand. I know some of us are good at it, but I'm not sure we understand some of the ramifications. Gossip is words spoken behind someone's back because of their harmful nature. Now, here's the tricky thing about gossip. Gossip is true. If it's not true, we call that slander. Slander. And slander is, it's malicious. It's when you make something up in a malicious way and it's meant to hurt somebody. But gossip, it's a little bit tricky because what you're saying is true. You see, you don't gossip on Facebook. You, you don't gossip with a megaphone. It's not a public pronouncement. Gossip, in fact, go, gossip is, the word literally means, you know this, it literally means to whisper. And you whisper. Because you got something good. And it's true. That's why it's so good. But you say it because that person is not in the room. Would you say it if they were in the room? You only have the courage to say it because they're in the room. And the gossip, let me let me give you a hint here. Gossip always begins with three words. Almost always. You know what they are? Three words. Did you hear? Did you hear? Sometimes they begin with seven words. You did not hear this from me. <laughs> right? And I've been watching y'all, okay? So let me, tell you how, let me tell you how this works. If you use the three-letter word, if you use those, did you hear? You look over your shoulder once, right? Hey, did you, did you hear? But if you say, you did not hear this from me, it's a two-shoulder look, right? You didn't hear this from me. Right? and then you deliver and the, the tricky thing about gossip is it's true and another tricky thing about gossip is it makes you feel good can we just acknowledge that in fact let me, let me get ahead of this and just tell you that when you do gossip and you feel broken about it or you want to confess that sin the first thing I want you to confess to God is this and that God wants our honesty so the first thing I want you to confess to God is say God I gossiped today and I confess it felt good Right, it, it, it felt good because it was an opportunity for you to put someone in a negative light. It, it can really f- it can feel good to gossip. And in gossip, it takes two, right? There's first of all the, the, goss- the gossip speaker, the one who says those words. Look at Proverbs chapter 16. Look at it on the screen. A perverse man stirs up dissension. And what does a gossip do? A gossip separates close friends. Speaking the words. Being the one who says, Did you hear? You did not hear this from me. Boom. Why would we why would we do this if we know that it separates close friends? You and I live in a world we're not settled inside. They have a marriage better than mine. They have a marriage I want. That, that man's got a job that I want. She's got the money that I want. He's got the ministry that I want. So when we are able to cast someone in a negative light, it feels good. It feels like we're helping ourselves because we all stumble in many ways, right? So let me just tell you a way that they've stumbled. And what I've noticed about gossip when I'm the one speaking it, I've noticed that it's closely attached to my own discontent. There's something in me. Notice that maybe about yourself. When when someone's talking about someone like in Christian circles and we say, oh, so-and-so just bought this. They're they're building that house. They bought this car. Maybe something's happening in your own heart with materialism, greed, or generosity. Generosity. Oftentimes, when you're the one speaking the gossip, there's something attached there that God wants to deal with you in. Not only is there the gossip, the gossip speaker, there's the gossip hearer. Would you hear me now? Look at this passage, Proverbs 17 4, just a few verses over. A wicked man listens to evil lips, a liar pays attention to a malicious tongue. You see those words, listen, pays attention. You may not be the source of information, but you're an accomplice to the crime. Gossip can separate the closest of friends. That's the effect that it can have. There's a few things I want to tell you. If you're a note taker, I don't have these on the slides, but if you're a note taker, jot these down. But a few things that can help you as you begin to journey toward living with a wise mouth. The first is get a mirror. You know, mirrors are, um, well, honest. A mirror, the job of a mirror is not to interpret what it sees. The job of a mirror is to say, hey you, here's you. My mother-in-law years ago would go to a gym and work out several years ago and the gym would advertise itself as no men, no makeup, no mirrors. Right? Just phew, relief. Get a mirror because when we're talking about somebody else, what we need to do is look at ourselves. Does that remind you of anybody? You know, Jesus in Matthew 7 who talked about the speck in another's eye and the plank in your own. And get a mirror. Let us be so intentionally, ruthlessly Honestly, looking at our own lives and considering our own weaknesses and where we stumble in many ways, that we'll have less care and devotion in looking at another. Get a mirror. Second thing I would say is assume the best. Assume the best. Life with others is this way. There's a couple things always involved in our relationships. The first is our expectations. And secondly, there's our, our experiences. You know, we expect things of people. Isn't that good? We expect things of people. Isn't that bad? And you have expectations that your kid would get up and take out the trash. You have expectations that someone will tell you the truth and be there for you. You have uh, expectations of that this marriage would look this way or this friendship would be that way or this church would do this for you or be this for you. We have expectations and then we look at our own experiences and there is what? There's almost always a gap. And in that gap you fill that gap with your assumptions. That gap is a vacuum. It's air, what you expect and what you're experiencing, and you fill them with assumptions. And more times than not, those assumptions can be negative. And I get most excited, most angry, most against someone or something when I have the least information about the situation. And in that gap, we make assumptions in the negative. The third thing I want to say to you, and it's a sentence fragment, I know that I was good in English in high school and college. Write this, never about, always to, T-O. Never about, I've got a friend from Canada, never about, always to, T-O. Maybe the hardest thing for us. I'm learning a phrase and I fail often. and I'm trying to get better and I'm trying to get the team around me to get better. But when someone's name is brought up and something about them is brought up, I'm trying to learn to say, hmm, have you talked to them? Hmm, have you talked to them? And if it's something weighty, something that seems important, bothersome, problematic, I want to move not just to ask them if they've talked about them. I want to kind of walk them along that road to say, you really ought to talk. In fact, I'm going to keep you accountable. I'm going to check in with you to see if you've talked to them. Never about, always to. And here's what it'll do in the positive. Look at Proverbs 26, 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. Don't y'all wish it was wintertime? I mean, come on, right? A good old fire and some s'mores and a Snuggie and just, yeah. For lack of wood, we can worry about that in December, I guess. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. If you and I learn never about, always to, we don't feed the fire. We're better and we're a healthier family. The goal for us is not growth. The goal is health. Now, healthy things grow, don't they? But the goal is for us to be a healthy, truth-telling, loving community. So in closing, I want to say something to us as a church. Wise heart, wise feet, wise mouth, but this is really three weeks on wise heart. This is theology and cardiology because you're never going to get away from the heart. What did Jesus teach in Matthew 12? Hey, what you, what you say comes from here. I almost think it's, it's, it's disingenuous every time that I say, oh, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to say that. And that's kind of problematic and... In light of what Jesus taught, because it was down here and it just came up. So what I really need to do and say, instead of saying, I didn't mean to say that, I need to say what? I need to check my heart. I need to check my heart. Because any worthy, gospel-oriented, Bible-centered, life-changing message on gossip or taming the tongue gets to the very heart of it all. Because I got to be honest with you, we fail all the time. I mean, I mean, honestly, I, I've been watching my TV set like some of you and going, and this isn't a political statement, so don't come at me. I don't want any angry emails or meetings afterwards. But I'm like you, like man, Trump, Donald Trump, filter, bro, <laughs> filter, man. I mean, whew, will there be any constituent constituency left unoffended, right? I mean, man, he tells it like it is. He tells it like it is. I'm not sure that's electable, okay? But I'm like, get a filter, my brother. I didn't say anything about his hair because I can't talk, but I'm just talking about his mouth. But I'm with him. So are you. And I would like, we would like the answer to Taming the Tone to be some sort of like, you know, SPF, some little lotion we can spray on us to block this sin in our lives. Just apply a little SPF 15 or 30 or 40. If you're pasty Irish like me, 50 or what do they make? What's the highest they make? 100. And you apply the lotion and you uh, reapply generously and evenly to all exposed areas and reapply after prolonged swimming and perspiration, right? Just rub it in and the problem, it'll be solved. But Jesus is saying this is a deeper thing that it's a heart thing and he's saying that that there probably needs to be heart surgery and the surgery's probably going to be invasive and it's probably going to be painful and it's probably going to require some recovery I look out and see uh, my brother Bradley Lum some of you uh, know him and have prayed for him this summer here's a, a super handsome pay me later young man who was a college athlete he's one of our young deacons he's with his his wife and children right now and bradley uh, early in the part of the summer they discovered doctors discovered something wrong with his heart and we met bradley right back here right behind the baptistry in my study and we as the church elders uh, laid hands on him and prayed for him we prayed that he would get him the cleveland heart uh, hospital i guess that's the best in the world and he ended up taking him in oklahoma quicker and so they went out there and bradley had heart surgery As a young man, fit as a fiddle, and they had to go into him. And it's tough, wasn't it? Tough on that beautiful wife next to you. I bumped into Bradley this week, and I said, man, what long-term, what is it? Because it was tough. It was invasive. It was painful. It was expensive. It was costly. It was worrisome, all those things. Man, hey, I think it's corrected. It's going to take a little time, but I I, ought to be ought to be better better than ever i'm glad we caught it and taming the tongue is not going to be rubbing in a little topical ointment and making it better it's going to be surgery for us and so what i want to do for just a couple of minutes i want to talk about that surgery and i want you to write down a word identity if you've written the word heart write the word identity let's talk about me and then we'll ask you to consider you but who is robert green have you at any time if if this is your church has anybody said hey who's who's that guy what have you said only good things right but you probably said hey he's the jeff you better say yes uh he's the pastor at fondren church right that's that's a little bit of my identity but stay with me i I guess i could say that i'm i'm the pastor I'm, i'm susan's husband i'm the father of three great growing kids I'm the pastor of Fondren Church. I'm several people's friend. But all of those, hear me, church, all of those are sub-identities of my central identity. And my central identity is, but as many as received him, John 1, 1 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. 1 John chapter 3, oh, what great love the Father has for us, the love that he's lavished on us that we would be called the children of God. I am a child of God. That's my central identity. And as a child of God, I am forgiven. I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm no longer condemned. And I am free and released. And the more that I live out my central identity, the more that my life flourishes, And the people that are closest to me are immensely blessed. But I struggle with that. And so do you. And if it's about, I mean, a lot of people in the room this morning, I I don't know your identity or where you're putting your identity. But if that identity is being the most marvelous mom or the, the, the greatest dad or the top salesperson or the best businessman or the, the one who has all the friends or the most likes on, on social media, if, if that is your identity, let me just go ahead and tell you, to quote the prophet Jeremiah, you're drinking out of the wrong cistern. That's the wrong well, brother. Because someone is always going to come along that's better than you. You know, they're your rare Michael Jordans. It's like it has been so many years, like, no, 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 LeBron, no, no, Michael Jordan, all, you know. But look at Jordan's personal life since leaving basketball. And read statements he's made about trying to figure out who he really is and how none of that seems to matter. It's lined his pockets with wealth. But what happens when we put identity in that? Let me be honest, there's always a better preacher. You're supposed to shake your head and act like that's not possible. But there's always going to be a better preacher, right? There's always going to be a better ministry. There's always going to be churches that do things better than us. And I have to be just fine with that. And when I live out not my sub-identity but my central identity found in Jesus, not only can I not tear other people down, because that's what you do. Because you feel threatened when someone if your if your idea is to be the top salesman and then someone at the office says, "Man, how about Charlie hitting those numbers, top guy this month?" Then you might be prone to say, "Hey, did you hear? You didn't hear this from me, but I think Charlie's a cheater. I think I think he's a little slim shady." Oh, oh, Mandy's a wonderful mom. If your identity is being the best mom around, then you're going to be prone to say something like, yeah, she's a helicopter mom. And one of those kids, I'm telling you, she's raising a future serial killer. And it's your goal, right, to reduce, to bring down because your, your identity is a sub-identity and your identity is never going to be supreme. And it's never going to lead to a life that will flourish. What if? What if we didn't gossip? What if we weren't the speaker or the hearer? What if our lives weren't spent talking about people who are not in the room with us? What if your life and your language wasn't about ripping other people up? But what if? What if Fondren Church became known more and more, and I applaud you for where we are now, but what if we became more and more known as a church that edifies and that encourages? Can I tell you, we've got some on our team. We have a great staff team. I, I was laughing with them uh, this morning, but Molly Sanders, what an encouragement she is. Do you guys know Molly? I mean, she comes into the room, she, she lights it up. And she says things. She says good things. What if our church became more like that? If we took time to encourage and to build up people. Laura McAlpin, Tammy Sims. I mean, these, we got good, We got good girls on our team, Jeff. The guys are just kind of, yeah. It just occurred to me, yeah. But anyway, um, what if we were like the gals on our team? Man, we really... Uh, sometimes you're in the moment right but just what if we what if we spent time calling out what if we said hey you're the one who calls us to prayer you're the one who reminds us that this is a spiritual endeavor you're the one who has faith you're the one i see thinking about other people and we began to call that out i remember when i lived in san diego there's a chain of of eateries and there were several around town. And I was just in love with this place. And I usually went to the one by my own house. I would have a laptop and a Bible. I would read. I would prepare a talk or just spend some alone time or hang out with a friend. And I remember one time going on, a couple of times going on another side of town. And both of these eateries had a bell. The bell was at the door. And it said, if, you, if, you, uh, if you've enjoyed your food and service, ring the bell. And on our part of town, Rancho Bernardo, I, I, nobody rang the bell. I didn't even know the bell was there. And when I went to another part of town, that crowd, man, that people would walk out of there, ringing the bell. Hey, great, great, we enjoy it. Ding, 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 and they're yelling back. And the, the servers would be there, you know, with someone with one customer. And they would, when they heard the bell and the praise coming, they would they would shout back, "Thank you, you're well," you know. And what if we weren't the stuffy congregation? What if we weren't the one who never rang the bell? What if we were the church? that rang the bell, that called out the good in other people, that made a little noise, a little celebration. There's a lot of sorrow in the world, have you noticed? There's a lot of religion and a lot of churches and a lot of people that drift off their mission and think things are about other things. But what if we realize that the chief end of the church is that we would speak the truth in love, read Ephesians 4 later, that preachers would preach and teachers would teach and administrators would administrate and leaders would lead so that you would be equipped to do the work of the service. But that's only gonna work. Not if you have a magnificent, skilled orator and a great building, but it's gonna work. If you speak the truth in love and you're built up, as a body who's close together in doing that. And you see, there is gossip. And for gossip to happen, as we've talked about, there's got to be a gossip speaker and a gossip hearer. But let me remind you, church, as we close, there is a gospel. And Romans 10 says, how will they know? How will they know if they don't hear? And how will they hear if someone doesn't tell them? And who's going to go tell them? And beautiful are the feet of the one who goes and tells them the good news. Wouldn't it be cool if we replaced some of our negativity, some of our criticism and exaggerating and gossiping and carping and complaining, and we replace that with good stuff, good stuff in others, but above that, the good stuff of the gospel is that you don't, your life doesn't have to be about concealment and containment and cover-up but you can come out and you can be loved and you can be released and free and we can help each other live out our sub, not our sub-identity, but our central identity that is found in Jesus.